Okay, we're going to continue in the confessional with sanctification. Paragraph one. We'll finish the paragraph today. So when you guys... What chapter guys, is that? Sanctification is chapter... 13. 13, 13 then, I'm sorry. Chapter 13. Okay, I'm going to open it in a word of prayer, so let's pray. Father, before we even start this morning, we want to say thank you. We want to say... Uh, Lord, that we are grateful. We're grateful for our salvation. We're grateful, Lord God, for all the things that come with that, Lord God. We're thankful for your Holy Spirit that you didn't leave us alone here, Lord, but you've given us your Holy Spirit, which we absolutely need, which is who is vital, Lord God, for, for our sanctification, for being able to live in this life, Lord God, as we are truly foreigners here in this world, as we'll see. Father, so we thank you for all that you've given us, Lord. We thank you that, Lord, there's always been a remnant of your people, Lord God, and we are part of that remnant, Lord God, and that's just a wonderful blessing. Father, today we ask for strength. We acknowledge our neediness before you and that we need your help, Lord God, to understand your word, to, to, to understand even more so how we are to live this life as your people. Father, but we also need your help to be able to worship you, Lord God, because we have remaining sin still in us, Lord God, and it will be there until we get called home. So, Father, we want to worship you today rightly, and I'm so, so thankful, Lord God, that we are of those who worship the living God. And if you did not love us first, that would not be possible. So, Lord God, I pray that everything that we do here today would be a sweet-smelling aroma to you. And we thank you for all that you do for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so, again, paragraph one. Good morning. Paragraph one. <clears throat> We're going to finish it. I'm just going to read the whole paragraph again, and then we'll get into it. It says, those who are united to Christ and effectually called and regenerated, have a new heart and a new spirit created in them through the power of Christ's death and resurrection. They are also further sanctified, really and personally, through the same power by His Word and Spirit dwelling in them. The dominion of the whole body of sin is destroyed, and the various evil desires that arise from it are more and more weakened and put to death. At the same time, those called and regenerated are more and more enlivened and strengthened in all saving graces so that they practice true holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Okay, so last week we ended in right where you see that little one where it says they are also further sanctified really and personally. So we can ask ourselves this question, how are we really and personally further sanctified? And then we get into the next sentence. The answer to that is through the same power, by His Word and Spirit dwelling in them. So again, it goes back already. We are reminded to always go back to the source, right? The source of our salvation is God, okay? He's the, he's the source of, of, of the new life that we've been given in regeneration. He's the one that effectually called us. He's the one that elected us. So we, we never can remove ourselves from the source of the spiritual life that we had, right? We have to always be reminded that we need Him, right? And we need to go back to that reality. So think again, last week we did an exposition of Romans chapter 6, 
verse 1 to 11. I'm not going to go through that whole thing again. But we learned, again, in Romans chapter 6, which I said is very foundational in understanding sanctification, right? Progressive sanctification, which we are talking about. And we learned that we have died to sin, okay, and have been immersed in Christ, to use the baptism as the example, as the, as the phraseology, that we've been baptized into Christ Jesus. We've been immersed in Him. We are new creations in Him, right? And we learned that God did something in the past, in every believer's life, that has effects on their lives in the present. And that this effect is a continuing effect. That's the, that is the doctrine that we're talking about, right? It's a continued, progressive effect that continually it progresses until we reach glory. Okay? It's not a perfect... It's not a perfect um, <coughs> sanctification. We said that perfect sanctification is synonymous with glorification. Okay? But it's a progressive sanctification because by definition, we gave a good working definition that sanctification in the progressive sense is when we more and more, we, we progress in this faith, we die to ourselves, we grow more and more conformed to the image of God as we mortify the flesh, right? And imitate our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And that's, the, that's, that's this time until we go to glory, right? So, and the power is in God Himself working through the Holy Spirit and applying His Word. So the first reference we have here is going to be in John chapter 17, verse 17. It's a short verse if you want to turn there. John 17, 17. And John 17, 17 says this. Sanctify them in the truth. Your Word is truth. A very short verse, but a very important verse. Okay, this chapter we know is Jesus is he's praying as he's about to depart from this world. He's praying for his disciples. He's been with them for three years, right? He's grown close to them. He knows what they're going to be up against in this world, right? And as he's praying to the Father and commending them to the Father, he says, Father, sanctify them in the truth, your word is truth. So we need to understand that we can't progress in this new life. Absolutely cannot make progress as a Christian in this new life apart from, I'm going to say, feasting on God's word. Right? The scripture says, man shall not live by every word, by, by uh, oh my goodness, I'm man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Okay? So, not every Christian feasts on God's Word. Listen, we're guilty of not doing it consistently all the time. And you'll find yourself, like me, if we're lax in doing our devotions, and I'm not saying doing it by just going through the motions, heartily, with a, with a real heart, doing our devotions, praying to Him, seeking Him, what He has said to us in His Word, because He has communicated to us, and He's communicated to us through His written Word. If we're lax in that, you're going to find that your Christian walk is not going to be very good. Okay? Because we haven't heard from our Lord. Okay? So we can't progress in this new life apart from feasting on the truth of God's Word. And Jesus, who is the truth, who is the Word, understood this and knew this, so that is what His prayer consisted of. Remember that John 17, again, is Jesus' we call his high priestly prayer. 
Eminat, a high priest, intercedes for his people, prays, shepherds, protects, does all these things for the people. And Jesus is our high priest. So he commends them to the Father, knowing that he's going to leave this world. He commends them to the Father, to his word. And we need to understand that his word does, in fact, have cleansing power. Okay? It is the word of God that led us to salvation. Jesus himself is the word. We've been cleansed from all unrighteousness as believers, right? But the Word of God also has... The Word of God says that we have been saved, but we're also being saved, okay? In other words, that we're constantly in this life. When the Scripture that says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, he's talking to people that are saved. He's not saying work for your salvation. That's been given to us in Christ. But he's saying until we are... As long as we are in this earth... We are to constantly be at work in this Christian life. Okay? So the word has cleansing power and transforming power when it falls on attentive ears. And the scripture is for God's people. It's for those who have attentive ears. So we need to understand and remember the power that is in the word. So the word of God is our source of guidance and is the very foundation on which we stand. I want you to turn real quick to 2 Timothy 3, 15 to 17. We know this verse, it's popular. It's not one of the cross verses, but I, mean, I never stick with just what's over here. There's a lot more. I want to use it because I actually do think it's a, a very important. There's a lot we can learn from it. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15 to 17. Paul, again, talking to Timothy we know that Timothy accompanied him on, on many of his journeys. We know that Timothy was left as pastor at the church at Ephesus. And this is what he says to young Timothy. He reminds him that from childhood, in verse 15, you have known the sacred writings which are able to give you wisdom that leads to salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. So again, he's talking to his brother as he's writing to him. Right? This is 2 Timothy. So Paul's about to die soon. He's being prepared for death. Right? And he's writing to Timothy, reminding him of his godly mother and his godly grandmother, what they taught. He's reminding him of these sacred writings. And every time the Bible is talking about Scripture in the New Testament, it's talking about the Old Testament. The New Testament wasn't written yet. For us, it includes both. So he's saying, listen, Timothy, remember... The very word that brought salvation to you, right? The very thing that led you to salvation, which is in Jesus Christ. And then he says very important words in 16 and 17. He says, all scripture, all those sacred writings which you've been taught, which tell you about your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Jesus said to the Pharisees when he rebuked them, you, see, you keep talking about Moses. If you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me, right? So Paul's saying to Timothy, all scripture is breathed out by God. It is the breath of the very living God. And it's profitable for, not an exhaustive list, but he's going to give several things, especially him as a pastor. He says it's prof profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. It's profitable for all these things that are so foundational for a Christian in the process of their salvation of progressive sanctification. 
So it's so vital. Okay? He says, so that the man of God may be adequate or complete, some versions might say, equipped for every good work. So God is saying, okay, as believers, we're new creation in Christ Jesus. We've died with Christ. We've been raised with Christ. Okay? We have positionally Christ's righteousness. We are in good standing with the living God. But now he's saying everything that you need for sanctification has been given to you and is all within the Word of God. He did not leave us unable to live this life. He's saying all Scripture is necessary. Okay? It's profitable for all these things, but it's necessary. In other words, if this is not going to be what we stand on, you have nothing to stand on. So we must always go back to this because verse 17 is very clear that it makes the man of God complete, equipped for every good work. And we know that there's a good work that God has foreordained in each of us as individuals, and there's a good work, generally speaking, that the whole church is to do. Let's turn now to the epistle to the Ephesians. Chapter 3. You guys want to turn there. Ephesians chapter 3. And as you guys are turning there, in this chapter, we learn of how Paul's writing concerning the mystery of Christ. And we see that come up often as a theme in the New Testament. And it can mean many things, but namely, here in the context, and oftentimes, that the Gentiles, he's writing to a Gentile church, right? that the Gentiles would take part in the body of Christ, that they too would be heirs of Christ. They are children of Abraham, children of the promise, right? That it's not just for Israel, but it's also for all those who believe, right? So that's the mystery, he's, what he's talking about. And Paul reminds them in verse 13 of something very important, okay? Up to this point, let's look at it. Let me just look at it. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 13. Which says, Therefore, I ask you not to lose heart at my tribulations on your behalf, for they are your glory. Okay, so let's get a little context here. Paul is writing this letter again when he was imprisoned. Okay? If you remember in Acts chapter 20... Paul gives his farewell address to the Ephesian church. He pastored them for three years, right? And after spending three years with them, getting to know them, loving on them, being a father to them, being a spiritual leader to them, fighting false teachers, all these things, there was great weeping, right? There was great weeping and sadness because they knew that when Paul was leaving them, they would never see him again, right? In other words... Paul was moving on as the apostle that he was. He did a work there at Ephesus, and he was moving on to further the ministry, right? So now he's writing this letter sometime after. I don't know how many years it was after, but he's writing this letter from prison, right? So they weeped that their father in the faith is, is, is going to be leaving them, and now they find out that he is in prison, Right? So he's saying in verse 13, Do not lose heart at my tribulations, for they are your glory. Because the very thing that Paul was suffering from was a direct result of Paul being a sanctified believer. 
Paul operating in this progressive sanctification. Paul doing everything he did, giving the gospel which offends. The very gospel that if it wasn't given to this Ephesian church, they would not be the church. Right? In other words, they would not be saved. So Paul is saying, listen, don't lose heart. If anything, rejoice. Because these chains were of Christ. Okay? Let's move on to verse 14 in the same chapter. He says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, that He would grant you, according to the riches of His glory, to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in the inner man, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. Listen, for someone to be this happy in prison, something had to happen, right? There had to be a major change. Let's just look at this. What it's talking about. Strengthened with power. Okay, he gives this, this little doxology, if you want to say. Okay? Strengthened with power means power to live this life that stands in opposition to the old life. That's what he's talking about. Right? He's writing to this church. We know that this church was a, a solid church. They, they got off focus at one time. We know their book of Revelation. They lost their first love. Okay, but they were a church that was very diligent. Okay, and now because he's in jail, he's praying to the Father that they would be strengthened with power through His Spirit in the inner man. He's talking to believers that already have the Holy Spirit, that are a new creation, and he's praying that they would be strengthened. Okay, because the life that they are now living is contrary to their old life. They went from being citizens, as every believer does. So when I say they, that also means we here as the church. They went from being citizens to foreigners. Their world has been changed, literally, right? They are now, once you get saved, you recognize that you're not of this world, right? They are different. And the source of their strength Again, it is the Holy Spirit that resides in them. So one needs strength to operate in a foreign land because it has its difficulties. Okay? We have some people that have in this church that this is not their native country. Okay? And maybe for some cultures it's a little bit easier, but when you go as a foreigner to another land, it's not easy. There's difficulties. Right? But nothing is more difficult than believers living in a world that is hostile to their God and to them, right? So we need strength to be able to live this Christian life. It's not just an easy life. And to think that it's an easy life, well, then we're misguided because Jesus never sugarcoats anything. Whoever's going to follow me must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me, right? It's not, whoever hates his life, I'm sorry, whoever loves his life will lose it. Whoever Loves his life, well, I'm botching up that verse. You know the verse I'm talking about, okay? That we, we need to hate our lives and love the new life that we have. Therefore, this strength is a strength to live like Christ 
in this world. Okay? That is sanctification. He gives us life that we may believe. The Spirit always, we look at the Scripture, the Spirit always magnifies Christ in His perfect example. So if you look at this Scripture here, the Father grants us His Spirit for the purpose of Christ dwelling in our hearts. Verse 17, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And this is where when I was studying, I got very convicted in just thinking about this verse. To dwell means to live, right? To reside somewhere, right? And it just made me think as I was looking at this, how we are in our homes, okay? We all have homes, we go home, right? How we are in our homes is usually the realest us, if we be honest. Now, that statement alone can be very eye-opening, and maybe even very convicting, right? It, it can also be a very good thing as well, too. So what I'm trying to say is this. Many people may either be on their best behavior or their worst when they're home. And what I mean by worst is I'm not talking about, I mean, if someone's just really on their worst behavior, that's just something that's very bad. But I'm not really talking about it in that context. Most of the time, when I mean worst behavior, meaning that we're not guarded. When you're home, you relax a little bit, right? You, you don't have to worry about trying to put on the show, being on your best at times when we're home, okay? And oftentimes, just from talking to people and being around people, I often think that it's the latter that happens because we're not as guarded when we're home. And I couldn't help just thinking of Christ, where the idea is that Christ would dwell in our hearts. We already have Christ. We have the Spirit of Christ, right, as His people. But if we look at Christ, the Spirit will always magnify Christ. The Word of God tells us to imitate Christ. It doesn't say imitate the Spirit. Even though the Godhead is one and the same, they have different functions with, among them. But the Spirit will always magnify Christ because Christ was a living person and Christ was the living God joined together here on earth. And if you look at Christ, Christ was perfect from birth until His death. Think about Christ when he was a young child in subjection to his parents. Flawless individual, never sinning. The Word of God says that Jesus increased in wisdom and stature. This means that Jesus, in his humanity, right, grew into the knowledge and understanding of himself as a young boy. He learned of himself as being that Messiah through the scriptures. He was a perfect, perfect man. When he was a carpenter working in the world, he was perfectly righteous in everything that he did. When he was out into the world, when he was in the temple going to worship, and when he was at home being, in, being subject to his parents, nothing ever changed. He didn't have this behavior, and then now he's going here, and it was this behavior, and now he's going here, he's going to act like this. He was the same always, because perfection doesn't need to be changed, right? He was a perfect individual, and that's where it really convicted me. 
Because I know when I'm home, sometimes I'm less guarded. And we should be on our best behaviors everywhere. Nothing should really change if we're to imitate Christ, right? And that's what it means. That's what sanctification is. If we are to imitate Jesus, and that, that standard never changes, then we should be the same no matter where we are at. Does that make sense? So he was always, he is the same yesterday and today. If he is dwelling in our hearts, if Christ is dwelling in our hearts, then he will come out. And he ought to come out. Right? That's the goal. No matter where we are, whether we're in church, we're in a world, we're at home, wherever, Christ should be coming out in our hearts. Our family, our children, our co-workers, doesn't make a difference where we are. Do they see Christ in us? Because that is our high calling. So to let Christ rule and reign in our most inner being means that it must come out and it will be evident as it comes out. This is progressive sanctification. Do you understand? If you move on to our confession. Does that make sense what I said? Yep. Did? Okay. If you move on, it says, The dominion of the whole body of sin is destroyed. And the various evil desires that arise from it are more and more weakened and put to death. Again, something that we've been talking about all the time. Think of the definition that we said, that more and more we're growing more conformed to His image, mortifying the flesh. Romans 6.14, again, back into Romans chapter 6. We did verses 1 to 11. But Romans 6.14 says something again that is so important. Let you guys turn there real quick if you turn into your Bibles. Romans 6.14. After all that is already said in verses 1 to 11, he says, For sin shall not be master over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. And why is this? Because the work of God will truly show its effect as a believer lives in this age. You know, we can look at this at first. Well, actually, I'm going to get to that. Let me read you a quote from Matthew Poole. You know, I like Matthew Poole, the Puritan from the 1600s. He says this, in Romans 6.12, which says, Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lusts. He says in that verse, Romans 6.12, it was an exhortation. In other words, an exhortation means urging and encouraging someone to do something in particular, right? So in verse 12 he's saying this was an exhortation, but in this it is a promise that sin shall not reign in and over us. He says rebel it may, and I think we all understand that, and we deal with that, but reign it shall not in the regenerate. It has lost its absolute and uncontrolled power. Remember, I left off last week when we did this, uh, using the verse in Hebrews, do we believe this without faith? It's impossible to believe Him. We must believe everything that is written about us. Now, one might understand this verse as looking to the future in glory. For sin shall not be master over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. But I don't think that's what it's referring to in this verse. 
Okay, though it is true, in glory, sin will not be master over us. But in glory, we need to understand that sin is not even part of the equation. Right? Our bodies, when we are in glory, we are going to be immutable. And I've said that before. We look at that word immutable, and we know that God is immutable. But immutable just means you're not, it's not going to change. Right? Adam was created mutable. Okay? He was able, he was perfect, but he was able to change. When we have our new glorified bodies, we will never change. There will never be a possibility for sin. Sin is no more. So certainly it's not master of us, but it can't even be master. When I look at this, this verse here, for sin shall not be master over you, I can't help saying that it still has undertones that imply that we can have moments where it seems that way. Right? But sin shall not have master over us. It's talking about as long as we are living in this life. Right? God is, Paul is reminding the believer and encouraging the believer that you will progress in this life to be more and more like Christ. So we are not to let sin reign because it doesn't, because it doesn't, I'm sorry, we are not to let sin reign because it doesn't now as believers. Sin is no longer master over the child of God. And it won't ever in the life of a believer as long as he's living. Right? So if we're here, that means we're alive. We have breath in our lungs. Okay? As Matthew Poole says, rebel it may. We may have moments where we sin. And we can sin pretty bad. But it will never be master over the child of God. And we have to remember that. It's so important. Galatians chapter 5, verse 24, says this. And again, that's the same chapter talking about a fruit of the Spirit. And all that comes from it. Galatians chapter 5, verse 24 says, Now those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And as I was reading this, I really liked, I really liked what Max Anders says concerning this verse. I want to read it to you. This is what he says. He says, The struggle between our flesh and our new nature is real. And we all know that, right? We all should recognize and understand that battle. Talking about, again, Romans 7. Yet there is more truth to help us win this battle. Paul explains that those who know Jesus Christ do not have to respond to the flesh because they have crucified the flesh with his passions and desires. This crucifixion, he says, refers to our identification with Christ and our death and resurrection. Listen to what he says. This is so important. When Christ died, our flesh was judged. And I like how he writes that. When Christ died, our flesh was judged. That means all the eternal punishment that was deserving on us was all put on Christ when he was crucified. Our death was crucified with him. This is what we just went through in Romans chapter 6, right? So when Christ died, our flesh was judged. Then he says, this does not mean our propensity to sin has been eradicated or rendered inoperative. 
we must accept that our old nature died with Christ and that as a new people, we have an increasing power to resist sin. He talks about Romans 10, Romans 6, 10 to 12. Do we understand and believe that we have an increasing power to resist sin? We have to believe that because the Holy Spirit resides in us. The power of the Holy Spirit, the very Spirit of God that was hovering over the face of the waters when there was nothing at one point, okay, is residing in us. In other words, we need to be logical, right? Be reasonable. Romans 12, 1 and 2. Why would those who have been raised with Christ Jesus let sin reign in their mortal bodies? It doesn't add up. It doesn't make sense. Let's not be foolish, but rather let us be wise and respond worthy of our salvation. He's called us to wisdom, not to foolishness. Amen? Alright, let's, uh, let's close this paragraph out. Then he says this at the, paragraph, the end of the last part of the paragraph in the confession. It says, At the same time, those called and regenerated are more and more enlivened and strengthened in all saving graces, so that they practice true holiness without which no one will see the Lord. And it refers to Colossians chapter 1, verse 11, but I want to read verses 1 to 12, because it will give us just perfect perspective, and the Word of God is going to say it much better than us. I don't like just reading a verse. Sometimes that's all you need to do is just read a verse, but it's so much better when we get a little context and see where that verse is coming from. Colossians chapter 1, verse 1 to 12. Again, Paul had nice words to say to this church. It says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ who are at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We give thanks to God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love which you have for all the saints. Part of being an imitator of Jesus Christ, who was perfect, he was perfect because he obeyed the law perfectly, namely the moral aspects, which is summed up in loving God, with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and loving people, your neighbor as yourself. So Paul's writing, here's this church, the news of this church, okay, the news of their sanctification, which is the evidence of their salvation, is coming to Christ. And he was praying, he was encouraged when he heard of the, of the goodness of this church. Verse 5 says, because of the hope laid up for heaven, for you in heaven, of which you previously heard in the word of the truth, the gospel which has come to you. Just as in all the world also, it is constantly bearing fruit and increasing. In other words, Paul was continuing, he was, he was preaching the gospel, people were getting saved, the same thing that was happening to them. But he's saying to this Corinthian church that they were constantly bearing fruit and increasing, even as it has been doing in you also, since the day you heard of it and understood the grace of God in truth. In other words, this is how salvation should look. Salvation, when someone gets saved, it's not always a 180. And you know what I mean by 180, right? Sometimes when people get saved, it's, it, it's, it's a progress. 
Right? Now, some people, they get saved, and it is a 180. And ideally, that's how it should be. It's not for all of us. Okay? But this is certainly how it should be. Right? Verse six, let me just read verse 6 again. Talking about the gospel which has come to you, just as in all the world also, it is constantly bearing fruit and increasing, even as it has been doing in you also since the day you heard of it and understood the grace of God and truth. A complete change in these people. Verse 7, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow bondservant, who is, faithful, who is a faithful servant of Christ on our behalf, and he also informed us of your love in the Spirit. For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you, and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so that you will walk worthy, walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Then he says the reference, strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience joyously giving thanks joyously giving thanks to the father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light so again the part of the confession just said at the same time those called and regenerated are more and more enlivened and strengthened in all saving graces that word enlivened in the confession, I really like. It's a powerful word. And it means that the Christian faith grows more and more appealing to the believer. Think about that. At one point, there's a lot of... Sin is pleasurable for a season, right? Let's be honest. Our flesh likes sin, right? It's attractive to our flesh. But as... A Christian grows in his spiritual life. Pleasing him. Living contrary to this world. Contrary to my fleshly desires. Becomes more appealing to us. Right? The things we want to talk about are things of the Lord. I've said this all the time. I'm an extremely boring, I've become a really boring person. Because all I really do want to talk about is the Lord. I don't really have anything else to say. You know what I'm saying? Like, we can talk about other things. I'm not saying you can't talk about other things. I get that. But ultimately, the things that, when Christians get together, the things that should really do it for us are the things that please God. Those are the things that should be appealing to us. Pleasing God is more appealing than pleasing ourselves. You know, I... I, I, Say, say this to my children, to myself. And I've had to ask myself this question. Remember, just even, I still have to ask myself this question. But especially if I go back to being a young believer. Especially a young believer in my 20s when I was definitely an ungodly Christian. Right? And I had to confront myself with this question all the time. Okay, the weekend's coming. All my ungodly friends, they're going to want to go out, drink, party, drugs, whatever it may be. Girls, all the evil, everything that the flesh just loves. 
and I'm confronted with the question. By me saying no and choosing the right thing, I am indeed missing out on something. I'm missing out on something. But we have to ask ourselves this. Is what we are missing, is what we are gaining in Christ Jesus and pleasing Him so much greater than what we are missing out in the sinful thing? Because that's sanctification, right? What we are gaining in Christ should be more satisfying. And it is more satisfying for the believer. There's a true reality here. You are missing out on something. You're missing out on a really good time. Sin is pleasurable. The God doesn't sugarcoat anything. It's pleasurable for a season. It never satisfies. But its end leads to destruction. So we are here to grow more and more like Christ. So pleasing God is more appealing than pleasing ourselves. Pleasing others, okay, is more appealing than pleasing ourselves. The truth of God as a Christian endures ought to be more and more embraced. Like I said, conversation of it is more and more desired. You know, it's been a while because of our schedules. You know, us guys used to say we used to get together on Fridays a lot, right? Where we're all shot and everyone's busy. But when we get together, we get together because we want to talk about the Lord. We want to grow more in our faith because this is what we care. Okay? Let's look at verse 12 here. So, verse 11, rather. Strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience. But then verse 12 says, Joyously giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. It comes back to that. You see, the motivation of progressive sanctification goes back to what God has done for us. It has to go back at what God has done for us. I quoted something last week by... I forgot who it was who I quoted by already, about the motivation of glory in the future should be motivating us, and that's certainly true. But I would say, which is even more powerful, I'm going to use both, it should be the fact of what he's already done for us. Right? He has saved us. He opened up our eyes. We're his children. That should be our motivation. He has made us qualified for eternity with him. When we were completely disqualified, in our natural selves. We observe the Lord's table once a month, right? In this church. Guess what? He has qualified us to be seated at His table when we had no right to His table in and of ourselves. That should be our motivation. Then the last part of this paragraph says this, so that they practice true holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Again, such an important verse taken from the second half of Hebrews 12.14. That without true holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. The pursuit of holiness implies a few things. If we are going to pursue holiness, it implies a hatred for sin. Going back to what I just said as a young man, even still, 
I get, again, I'm not perfect. Are you guys perfect? I have moments. We all have moments. The pursuit of holiness implies that we will hate sin. We will especially hate it in ourselves. Right? We will hate sin. It means hating the things that God hates. God hates sin. We love God. So if He hates something, we will hate it as well. And also, if we're going to hate the things that God hates, we must also love the things that God loves. That is holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. If we love something, those of us that are married, right, you will pursue it. You can't say you love something if you don't pursue it. You can't say you love someone. Think of marriage if you do not pursue them, right? So if we love it, holiness, we will pursue it. Matthew 5, 8. We'll close here. It says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. The pure in heart are those who are holy, right? Because God first has made them holy. And not only will they see God face to face one day, as the scripture says, for they shall see God. But they will see Him in every detail of their lives as they're living here on earth. The pure in heart will see God, doesn't miss God in the details. And all the little things, how He's working in His life. Why has this happened? Why has this circumstance happened? The pure in heart recognizes they see God in everything. Something bad might have happened. Okay, I see, Lord. I see what you're doing here. We're not missing out on all the wonderful things that he does as he's working in our lives here. So again, no one will see the Lord without a pursuit of holiness. If there is not holiness, which is the same word for sanctification, okay? No one will see the Lord. Because if there is no pursuit of it, it's so important, if there is no pursuit of it, salvation has not taken place. It has not taken place. Can there be seasons? Yes. Okay? We're talking about progressiveness here. Okay? If there's no pursuit of holiness, salvation has not taken place. Because sanctification is part of salvation. That's exactly what we're going through in the confession. We're seeing the logical order of our salvation and it's so important and we can't forget those details. Understand? So, how do we apply this? Again, we'll think about it for a second. Go back to all that God has done for us. Remembering what He did. He made us into His family. He, he, he made us new creations. We have glory waiting us. Now, be imitators of Him because that's our sanctification. Make sense? Any questions? Good? Alright. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, all I can say, my heart goes to just asking you and begging you for forgiveness because I know I fail. 
But as I always follow up when I say that, Lord, I know I have it. It's eternal. We are forgiven as far as the east is to the west. It never ends. We are covered in the righteousness of your Son. We are empowered by the very Spirit of God. And we will one day be taken to be in your presence forever and ever and ever with our own righteousness because of all that you have done. So Father, help us, Lord God, to pursue you. Truly pursue you. And that might look different in certain aspects for all of us, but it also looks the same. So Father, help us to be the vessels again that you've called us to be. Help us to be what you saved us for. Help us not to be what we're going to become, Lord God. No, help us to be it now. You've already declared us righteous. We are your children. Help us to live that way, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.